Welcome to season two of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're talking all about women at work. So let's get started with today's expert. Hey everyone, today I've got Christine Scott on the show. Christine works in conflict resolution and has trained thousands of people on how to respond and not react by leaning in and not lashing out. She really likes working with women who she sees as naturally skilled at de-escalation, but usually after they debunk the false narratives around gender roles. I learned a lot from Christine today, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy. So welcome, Christine. It's great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really interested in this work that you're doing. And as always, I always ask guests if they can just tell me about how they came to do the work that they're doing today. Okay, well, I started off in social services. I was working with young people who are living outside, and they ended up being my greatest teachers on how to handle conflict. Um, I had led a life in the country <laughs> or the suburbs, you know, not really okay when things got scary or hostile or aggressive. I, I freaked out. Um, but, you know, working with these young people, they taught me a lot of what they knew because they were living in threats to their lives as a daily existence. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about the, the lessons that they taught you? Oh, yeah. Well, for one, the threat assessor that we have built into our bodies typically lies to us. Mm -hmm. um, when I was hanging out with people who lived outside, they were much more in tune to what the threat in the situation was than those of us who haven't been exposed to a lot of conflict. Um, so I started realizing, oh, I've got to like either override my biology or just get like kind of like these guys are, which is so inordinate with so much conflict going on that I no longer see it as a threat. <laughs> and I found the first one was a lot easier. And that's what I started training other people to do. It's like, okay, here's how you override that biological message that you're about to die. <laughs> um, the other, other things that they taught me was family of choice matters more than family of birth. You know, these, these folks built a community uh, on the streets that had a lot more loyalty and a lot more integrity than those that I have seen in biological settings. Um, so that that was revolutionary for me. And the other thing that they taught me is, you know, there's no such thing as a disposable person. A lot of us believe like, oh, somebody who's really addicted or somebody who's gone through so many adverse childhood experiences that, that their brain is just mush. You know, there's no way this person's ever going to amount to anything like they proved that wrong. Every young person that I served um, would defy all prediction about what was possible for them in a good way and in a bad way. And, and, and so it just was really humbling uh, to challenge a lot of those stereotypes around, around the amazing resilience that, that is the human existence. Wow. I want to just circle back to what you were saying about overriding your biological response. And maybe you could just talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, you know, we all have this um, fight, flight, freeze system that was really important when, when we were actually the prey and not the predator <laughs> to have that system. Um, but in today's society, that system really doesn't serve us well. And there's some recent research that shows that something that feels like a threat to our status can trigger that same fight, flight, freeze 
So if I'm in charge and somebody questions my authority, I'm going to have the same reaction as if somebody had just pulled a weapon on me. Um, and, and so that system will give us this, this sense of persecution and this need to either act out or shut down. And it's really very rarely accurately assessing what's going on. So I teach people, okay, so these are the signs to listen for and to watch for that that hack is starting to, or that, that system is starting to take over. And here's some of the hacks you can do to interrupt it before before you go into a full like 20 minutes of, of cortisol, adrenaline, and, and all of that stuff. So I, I'm really interested in this idea of responding to conflict, and particularly for women listening to this show, um, because, you know, the group of women um, who typically are tuning in are in midlife and beyond. And mm -hmm. I just wonder, do you see any differences in terms of both gender and then maybe also generationally how people respond to conflict? Oh, that's a great question. Gender, definitely, right? Because a lot of us, when we go into this mammalian response system, believe that conflict requires like big muscles and big presence to get resolved safely. Uh, and of course, that's not true. In fact, women have an easier time in conflicts that can get physical than men do because we're not seen as threats. So if a man is responding to, uh, say, a man who's really worked up, that, that, that worked up guy is looking at this other man as a possible threat. They're, they're sizing them up, like, can I take you? Whereas a woman, they don't see her as a possible threat. So they're, so they're not having the same amped up steroidal response to them in this mammalian mode. So we can get into situations a lot a lot more subtly with a lot less um, big impact. And that's what you need to de-escalate somebody. You need to have that capacity to check in and say, so what is it you need right now? You know, you're scaring people. I'm curious, like what, what's going on here? We can say that if, if another guy says that, you know, it's like the, the same as throwing down some gloves. <laughs> it's just, it's seen differently in, in our social constructs that we have. Um, and the other thing, as we think about age, is as we age, number one, we get more confident about who we are and what we're about. We're, we're less like worried about proving ourselves, about being right, about being like the boss of the situation, because we've matured past all of that garbage, right? And, and so people who are older can bring a subtle leaning into a conflict that that young people often haven't learned. Um, a lot of people will bring me in to train their whole teams. And I'm you often hired by managers who've been handling conflict for many years, and, and they're hiring people in their 20s and 30s to manage these restaurants and hotels and destination locations, right? And they just say, well, they, they're not picking up like what I'm showing them and how to do that. And I just remind them like, well, you've had years <laughs> of figuring out how not to respond as a mammal. You've had years of figuring out how, how to talk a customer off the ledge, right? And, and these guys, it's all new. So, so you just have to acknowledge that your experience is actually showing here. Mm. So there's that real role for women in terms of being mentors, I think, um, in workplaces, mm -hmm. women in that age group. 
The other thing that's really cool about women is that we're typically better at reading people and reading situations than men. Um, we just have to do that for our survival. And so we have that going for us. And um, that just really helps because a lot of these situations, it's just an unmet need mm-hmm. that, that somebody is acting out in a big way. And we might be better at it, like assessing and addressing that need than, than a lot of men would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm um, interested in what's been going on for even over the last year. There's been this recent uh, survey done by Deloitte looking at women in the workplace, and women are reporting microaggressions and harassment mm-hmm. at a higher level than even two years ago. So it's been on the rise in the last year. Can you? maybe give me some insight about that on both why you think that's happening, that sort of conflict, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, why this is being directed specifically at women? Well, it's been going on for many, many years. My theory is that the Me Too movement has just helped give us voice around what a problem it is. Um, an older survey that was done by the Employment Equality and Opportunity Commission uh, basically found that 90% of women observe and, and um, report that there has been workplace discrimination that's gender-based. Like if they're just asked anonymously, hey, have you ever seen this happen to you? 90% of the women say yes, but only 3% of those actually reported it. So I believe, I believe two things are happening. One is that women are getting better at saying, no, I'm not going to stand for that. That's, that's just not okay anymore. And then the other thing that's happening is the Me Too movement has brought men into like one of two camps. One camp is like, oh, wow, this is serious. I, I need to really look at this because my job is on the line, right? It's gotten, it's gotten more intense and men who are engaging in in low-level gender-based discrimination and harassment are hopefully getting a clue and taking a step back. But then there's this other camp that I'm hearing about from some of my employers that that they feel like they're getting called called to the carpet um, for something that they believe is their right. And that if they could just like put these women in their place, then they will be able to assert their authority beyond this temporary political issue that's going on. And those are the guys that you have to really watch out for. Wow, it's so complicated. There's so many things going on in those relationships at work. And I know one of the things that we looked at before our interview was an article on imposter syndrome. And it was so interesting to me because so many women report, you know, having imposter syndrome. And this article talked more about the bigger structures around it. And one Mm -hmm. of the lines that I took out of the article, and I thought maybe you could make a comment on, was around the experiences of women and professionals of color that really reveal that the triggers and solutions to imposter syndrome might not lie in the individual, that it might be more in the spaces and the environment that they occupy. Right, right. There's so many ways, and and those of us as women who've gone from being cute and flirted with and dealing with sexual harassment 
to going into the world where we're dealing with ageism, right? Mm. If you ask us, we probably couldn't tell you what the difference between those two is. Both of them minimize us. Both of them make us less than intelligent, less than like valuable employees, right? But the truth is we've had that all of our lives as women in workplaces that tend to be designed by this, this, this male superstructure, right? And so when, when asked, like, oh, do you feel like you're an imposter? Like, yeah. <laughs> Just like when you're wearing clothes that weren't designed for you. It, it pinches, it makes you uncomfortable, and you're the one that feels the pinch. You're the one that's noticing that this, this isn't quite right. There's a whole part of me that I can't express. So if you had a magic wand and you could sort of banish some behaviors towards women or from women at work, what, what would you do? What would you banish? Um, one of the ways that we keep each other and ourselves down is how we compare ourselves to each other, right? That's, again, kind of using this male lens and this patri patriarchy kind of um, hierarchical viewpoint about who's where on the pecking order and who's got the cutest outfits and who's got the prettiest hair and who's got, you know, seems to be tighter to the supervisor. And, and that just doesn't serve us. We need to really lean into the sisterhood of how do we support each other and much more true to, I think, our history as a, as a human race, right? Where, where women were the ones that protected the hearth and the well-being of the whole tribe, the whole group, the whole hunter-gatherer enclave, right? That was our responsibility. And as we moved away from that into this system where competition and scarcity were the modes, we, we picked up some bad habits along those generations around uh, com competing and comparing um, that, that really shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be a, part of, a part of this because we, we all do so much better. Like when you look at what happened with the Me Too movement and you look at the lean in where we started acknowledging, oh, wow, we're having the same experience, but we've all been so isolated and so busy competing with each other that we haven't had that dialogue, that safety to talk about it. Um, so that would be my first, my first magic wand thing. And, you know, my second would be just to get rid of that second group of guys that feel like they have <laughs> a chip on their shoulder that somehow women in our full brilliance is, is threatening them. It's like, that's garbage. Um, you know, I, I have to admit, I do some online dating. And what I've noticed is men are really attracted to women who have their full brilliance. They, they can't put their finger on it. They don't know how to describe it, but, but they really like it. Uh, if they just step back long enough to watch that shine, I think they would be a little surprised about, about how amazing it is. So this is really interesting. This brings me back to that same article um, when you talk about not competing. And one of the things that women are told, I think people are told in general is just sort of be yourself, right? Be authentic. And it was a really interesting observation in the article that's where they said that 
even though we encourage this, the reality is women and professionals of color aren't really able to do that as easily in the workplace, that it's not really set up for us to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm sure we can all share stories of times that something that felt really core to us as people, that when we did that thing, we were patronized. We were told, oh, oh, oh. You know, I think of like a nonprofit that I ran that I was I was making a display and somebody said, oh, there's Christine with her little craft project. And, you know, I was just realized you would never do that to a man making a display. Right. And there's so many ways that that we're told that that all of us is not okay. that that only this portion of us can show up uh, as a good manager or as a good employee. Wow, so such an interesting conversation and there's so many things to unpack. If people wanted to find out more about your work, where would they go? Well, I have a website that is seattleconflictresolution.com and I do 30-minute consultations um, with clients, not just Seattle-based, but all over. Um, My goal is to really help people look at What are the opportunities for us to be our best selves, even in conflict? Because in conflict, that's where that's where all of our unhealed wounds get revealed. That's where all of our strengths and grit can come out with just the right support. So so I really encourage people, yeah, you can be your best self, even when it gets a little hot. And that's that's something that um, I really enjoy doing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your insight on the show today. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Age Sister podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardeahealthconsulting.com.